welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Quit or keep going? All of us ask ourselves this question at some point in our lives. Some of us may ask it many times. In most cases, the better question is whether you're running the right race. Then the question of quitting is easy. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us the first part of this message entitled, Enduring the Race, which covers Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Thank you for joining us today. Let me ask the question to begin. What do you wish that you had never quit? I imagine different things would come to our minds if we had time to think about it. Uh, Some of us would probably mention the music. Uh, We hear Craig up here in the prelude playing uh, the many different uh, sax, uh, types of saxophones that he plays, and uh, amazing, and and we hear that. Or or maybe we uh, listen to Leo as he sings the the solo and say, my goodness, I was was in a good direction with music, and then I I guess I just gave it up. I I wish I really hadn't. Maybe it has to do with schooling. It uh, didn't follow school as long as you could and should and wish you had. Maybe it's a career pursuit that you gave up. Maybe diet or exercise program that you went on for a while and then gave it up and now regret that we did so. And it can have to do with a family. It might be a marriage that we walked away from and, and wish we hadn't now as we look back and regret that we didn't endure through the hard times. Uh, maybe it has to do with a, a, a way of disciplining our children where perhaps we gave up too early and started letting the leash out way too long too early and now we look back with regrets. Uh, It could be that uh, maybe it's a spiritual aspect of life where maybe in the pre-college years uh, where we would say, man, I was pursuing so strong. I was was going good and then, as I often say, you went to the University of Georgia and everything just went down at that point. (laughs) Probably never to recover, but for the others of you, there's hope. Don't you give up. Actually, the, uh, the number of things that could come to mind would be many, I'm sure. And we'd say, well, I wish I had endured. I wish I hadn't quit. There's a high cost in quitting. The things that we can lose, whether it be kids or health or maturity spiritually, and there is incredible reward for enduring. The answer to enduring, oh, self-esteem. One of many things that we gain from just enduring through time. And I could just go on and on and on. We're going to spend this week and next week talking about the character quality of endurance. We're going to do it for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I think as we've been talking over the last series, faith walking, that many of us have become excited and re-energized to think about, I need to have a walk of faith. But we know good and well that a year from now, there will be way too many of us that say, I wish I had continued what I started. We want to endure for the long haul. We're going into a Christmas season. And there's some of us that are going to experience pain through the holiday season that will be heightened in ways that we don't experience during the normal year. The memories that come back. The pain of loss. All kind of things. And to endure even in the area of hope, all kind of needs. We say, oh, I just need to endure. I'm going to do something this year that I'll probably repeat in the next years, and that is to take a particular character quality, 
at the beginning of a year to prepare us and say, let's think year long about one single character quality. Simplicity is something I believe in a lot. Repetition. Anybody who's around me hears me say, oh, the values are simplicity and repetition. Simplicity and repetition. Simplicity and repetition. And then to be able to model that to other people so that we don't just get it, but we give it away. You put those three things together, you've got a powerful life. So why don't we be simple about character qualities and, and, and let's, let's do something we can think about very easily. It's not one of many. Let's just pick one thing and let's focus on it for a year. I'm not going to teach on it this next year, but I want to keep bringing it back and thinking about it and praying for it. These two weeks, this week and next, I want to teach on it. I want to lay a foundation of the why and next week the how of endurance. And so I'm going to invite you, if you will, I'm going to invite you to pray with me now. And let's ask God that he'll use these two weeks to prepare us for a holiday season, particularly the Christmas that we have, the new year ahead, and then for the year, the whole year, not just the new year holiday, but for the whole year. Let's pray God work in our hearts, endurance. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we would... And ask you now that you might work in our hearts what we cannot work in it at all. We believe that you have a word that you have given in history past that has stayed infallible and inerrant, inspired by you. And Lord, we believe that you speak to hearts. It's not just a matter of a, a natural listening and doing, but it's a work that you do in our hearts that accompanies that word. So we're going to ask you now that you would do a great work now in each of us. For those of us that are yet to, to meet your son Jesus, we pray that there might be, for those of us here, that need that you would grant it today. And for those of us that know you, but we need to endure, we pray, Father, grant that too. May this be a very important two weeks in our lives and the life of this church, particularly as we go into this Christmas season. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. If you look up the word endurance, you'll see that it means a bearing under, as if there is a load that we're having to bear and carry to endure. It's also defined as a holding out. I like to think of it as breaking through quitting points. And there are all kinds of examples. We think about when we, when we uh, run laps. If you were a runner and I were a runner, we would know that, that in order to win a race, you're going to have to endure and it's not going to be easy. And maybe there's five laps or whatever and you get to that fourth lap and at that fourth lap, there's this sense of thinking, there's no way that I can keep this up one more entire lap. But then you cross the finish line, and hopefully victoriously, but when you finish the line and you did endure, there's this sense of incredible accomplishment that somehow I found a way to stick it out and to break through quitting points. I was talking to a... Uh, a man who had been very successful in a football career and in his football life. And he had uh, told the story of, of being a, uh, a freshman 
at his university where he was playing football on scholarship. And he said, here I was, a first-year young guy, and I am third team. And uh, he said, I can't tell you how painful and hard that first summer practice was. It was so bad. He said, I can remember seeing a tunnel that took us from the field into the, into the uh, dressing area. And he said, I would sit there during practice and I would stare at that tunnel and I'd have this debate, will I right now run right through it and just stop? I don't think I can take this anymore. Now, hindsight, after an incredible career of, of sports, he would say, I sure am glad that I endured. Some of us have stories of in our careers where we almost gave it up. I, I remember that. I can remember being on the phone maybe seven or eight years into the life of this church, maybe not quite that far, and on the phone with one of my mentors, a man 20-some-odd years my, my senior, and, and I remember crying where he could not even understand, and I, I just I said, I want to quit. I don't want to keep doing this anymore. I've had enough of this job. I bet most of us have experienced that at some time in our career. And how many of us would say today, boy, I'm so glad that there was a, a breaking through those quitting points. Some of us have experienced that with family, and some of you here have incredible marriages. But you remember the story and can tell them well where you said, oh, I can't endure this marriage another day, and now look what God's done and given you a great hope. And so it's basically just breaking through quitting points. And we want to see what God's Word has to say about that. There are a number of scriptures that are given, and I'll just read three very briefly, uh, three that, that focus on this idea of enduring and put it in somewhat of an athletic race-type environment or analogy. Let me look at 1 Corinthians 9 to begin with. It says it this way, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it? It just makes sense. Secondly, we see in Philippians 3, and we're going to look at this text at greater length this week. It says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not re regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the same author, Paul, who had written 1 Corinthians. And so you get a sense here he's talking the same type of mindset of, of running a race. We'll come back to this text. Then thirdly, in Hebrews chapter 12, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us now we're going to look at that text in greater detail next week now in looking at these I think back in my own life of nearly 50 years of being a Christian and walking with the Lord and I look back and I can say this with full integrity that there in a much deeper and deeper way as years go on I am convinced more and more of two realities. And I want to just address the two realities, one this week and one next. And we'll, we'll look at Scripture that teaches why this reality is such. Let's look at the first of the two. We look at it this week. 
One, the only race worthy of my full devotion is that of becoming a mature and equipped follower of Christ. Keep that up just a moment. Now, maybe I'm exaggerating a bit in the sense of when I say the only race worthy of my full devotion. I mean, it, it's worthy of my full devotion to be a good, a good parent or a good husband. Or, you know, there are a lot of things in life. But I'll put it this way, of all things worthy of my full devotion, I can think of nothing that can compare with that of becoming a mature and equipped follower of Christ. Now, I use that idea of mature and equipped in place of what I used to talk about years and years ago, the goal of being committed more and more in a growing commitment to Jesus and to a knowledge of his word. I used to think that's what it's all about. And I began to realize, no, there's something beyond that. That if you talk about being mature and equipped, let me tell you, you are growing in commitment to Jesus and knowledge of the Word of God. But it's very possible to be doing those things, but not really becoming so mature and certainly not being equipped. And so now I keep thinking all the time, that is the blueprint of where we want people to go in their lives. I can tell you this, if you come to this church... The leadership of your church here at Perimeter is not hoping that we can get you here to fill another seat so that we're just a little bit larger. The goal here of the leadership of the church, everything we do, everything is mapped around, not saying, okay, how do we get more money because we got more people or get the people who are here to give more money? That's not it. It truly isn't it. I'll tell you what it is. We've got this plan and it's in our mind and we have it very documented here it is, a mature and equipped follower of Christ. And our goal is, how do we take the people of this church from wherever they are, coming in as a non-Christian, really understanding and embracing the gospel and being born into the faith of Christ? And if already a Christian, really growing more and more in maturity and in their equipping. Now, in light of doing that, we need to understand some of the the background and understanding of it before the how to do it. How do you endure to such an end? But the better question is, what is it that makes it possible for us to endure? The reality is that our text of Philippians makes it uh, pretty clear uh, in verse 12. Let's look back at verse 12 again. It says, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, and that word perfect means mature, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that, think of that, that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That's very interesting. If you look at the verbs in this particular text, you have some that are passive and some that are active. There are two terms in grammar to talk about in the language of how you view that particular word. If it's being used in the, in the verb sense, it may be passive, something I do nothing and something is done to me, or it can be active, something that I then do for my own self to gain something. I have to be very active. He says, now here's the deal. He says, I'm being very active. I'm doing something in light of something that I have been very passive about. I'm trying to lay hold of that for which I have been laid hold of. 
Now, here's the great question, which comes first? You can find many a place that's going to teach you, particularly in the modern day of church, that we lay hold of Christ so that he may lay hold of us. Not biblical. I'm telling you, you search the scriptures, you'll see. It is over and over and over again made very clear in all kind of language. No, he lays hold of us so that we may lay hold of him. As John puts it in the book of 1 John chapter 3, he said, we love him because he first loved us. There should be no debate about that one. Well, why do we love Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because he first loved us. The book of Romans is just a book explaining in the early chapters the incredible picture of how he laid hold of us. And there's something about the power of God in a person's life and their ability to lay hold of to the degree there is an understanding and embracing of how his love first captured me so that I might capture him. Do I have faith and repentance? Absolutely. But only because of the regenerative work of his love in my heart. People who say, well, you know what, I did this and therefore I get, they feel pretty good about themselves. When you start turning around, you feel pretty good about your God. Something happens. And it makes us find a desire to lay hold of as we would never have otherwise. That is very, very important to remember. Now, here's the question. Okay, he's laid hold of us so that we may lay hold of what? What is he really talking about in the book of Philippians when he says, in order that I may lay hold of? So let's look for just a moment at our text in Ephesians 2. Again, the same author. This is Paul. And in verse 8, a very familiar text to most, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. That's pretty interesting. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, not something we've done to earn it or to, to credit it, so that no one may boast. And here's the text For we are his workmanship, huh? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why he laid hold of us to make us a creation that we might be prepared as he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that is, in those good works. And those good works encompass everything we do as a believer for his glory, the way we work, the way we play, the way we live our lives, our relationships. He says, I want you, literally, to understand that you've been made a new creation so that you might be able to do these things for my honor. Now, the Apostle Paul used to be named Saul. And I want us to look at a text in Acts. This is Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 12. And this is his story of being laid hold of. And then why he was laid hold of at the end. It goes like this. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. For you new believers, don't know the Bible that well yet? No, this is, this is the man Saul who became the Apostle Paul. Uh, this is a man now at this point describing when he was a non-Christian. He said, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, he's before King Agrippa, while he's doing this, keep that in mind. 
At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying, saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? Now, he knew it was God. He, did, he had full confidence this is deity speaking. But he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know the way. So he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness. There it is, folks, that we be servants and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. They may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Let me tell you, he's walking down a road. You think he's pursuing Jesus? Not at all. Was he trying to lay hold of God? No. God laid hold of him. And then he says, this is why, so that Paul, you might lay hold of and explains what that means for him. Servanthood, preaching the truth, same thing for you and me. Same thing. Now, the Apostle Paul, back to our text in Philippians 3 one more time. In verse 13, I want you to note what that's meant for him. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, note that, one thing I do. And number two, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now, for him, it meant being single-minded. If he was going to run this race with endurance, then in his mind he's saying, all right, I've got to be single-minded. I've got to be simple about this. And he says, one thing, it's a mindset, one thing that I'm going to do. In essence, he's saying, I'm going after the things I was laid hold of for. I'm going to give it everything in my mind. That's his mind and heart. He's saying, I'm just committed to it full heart. And folks, that's the same for you and me. I can guarantee you, when we stand at eternity's gate and we see the life of our Master and our Savior, we see the holiness of God, there will not be one of us here that would ever say, why did I spend so much time in that spiritual stuff we're going to say, oh, God, thank you that you called me on a, on a race and that I endured to the end of that race. We'll say then, if not before, there couldn't be anything more important than engaging in that race for a lifetime. And everybody here, at least most of us, are saying, I want that at the end of my life. But at the same time, probably a lot of us at least are saying, I'm not sure I'm going to endure to run the race. I probably won't get off the racetrack. But I'm really not sure I'm going to run the race. I mean, with wholehearted devotedness that I'm just saying maturity and, and equipping is what I'm about for the sake of 
glorifying God in life that I live in good works? And he would say, I'm, a, I'm just single-minded. But he didn't just say that. He said also, he believed in being forward-reaching. And when he says there, he says, reaching forward to what lies ahead. See, he's not wallowing in the, in the mire of his past regrets. And he's certainly not looking back at all of his past successes. And some of us here would say, oh, I look back and look what I've Look what I've done in this many years. Is it really worth it now? And look how I messed up here. And oh, if I'd only done that. And we look back and he says, don't look back. And some of us say, oh, look how God's used me and look what's accomplished. I've at least done this and beyond where most people are and what they're doing. He say, no, don't do that. Look ahead. Look toward the goal. And that's running a race with endurance for the prize set before you. And that's what I want this next year to be for every one of us. That we say, okay, I'm running a race. We wake up in the morning, I'm running a race. We wake up the next day, I'm running a race. The next day, I've got to keep my eye on the goal. I'm looking back now. I can't look back. Look ahead. Keep racing. Keep going. And then when we walk into the eternities, we go, boy, that was the best decision I ever made. And we'll just applaud God to say, you laid hold of me. I didn't lay hold of you. Not till after you'd laid hold of me. I didn't love you first. You first loved me. All honor be to you, not to me, that I ran the race with endurance. It's what every one of us want. No question for Paul. There's not a, race, a runner that really is a, a true runner who would ever say, good thing to look back and kind of check behind us while you're running. He said, no, no, no. Keep your eyes ahead to the goal. In light of that, I think the question when that uh, in verse 15 says perfect meaning mature, how do you become mature? What does it mean to be equipped? Well, your church here doesn't just talk about it as a term. Years and years and years ago in the life of this church, we came up with the blueprint of what we believe it looks like so that anybody can look down at it and say, I got it. This is what it is. We took everything we saw in Scripture and we tried to simplify it and boil it down and say it a few different ways at the same time so that people could take it and go, I got that. And so now what we're trying to do, certainly if you're in discipleship, you know this, but what we're doing, we're saying, taking the blueprint day one, we're saying here it is, and at the end of the year, after we've even worked through it all year long, we say, now this is where we are today. We even do evaluations of ourselves. No one evaluates us. We do a self-evaluation. Where I am, where am I on that blueprint when I start out? At the end of the year, and then the end of three years, if you walk through it three years, where am I at the end of that three years? Am I making progress? And what a joy to see how many hundreds of you people are just kind of tracking along and your reports are better and better and better and better in your own self-evaluation. No one's harder on ourselves than ourselves. And that's what we want to see. So I know this is repetitious for so many of you, but let me just lay it out and show it to you as we conclude the message. What does it mean to be a mature and equipped follower of Christ? It's someone who, number one, is living consistently under the control of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the Word of God, and the motivation of the love of Christ. Now, I see some pencils going hard now. Don't even try. I promise you, you can't keep up. Well, we're going to try to up the podcast a little early. It usually comes up on Tuesday night. By Tuesday morning, at least, it'll be up. And this will be on the PDF with it that you can hit, and this will be available to you. So... Uh, just kind of observe, if, if you would. 
Well, yeah, it's under control of the Spirit and direction of the Word of God. But so many fail to keep in mind the motivation. Why do we do this? It's the love of Christ, not just our love for Christ, but it's thinking and understanding and embracing His love for us. Number two, as discovered, developed, and are using their spiritual gifts. I bet if I were to ask among the thousands of Christians that are here this weekend, I bet if I were to say, how many of you could stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I think you'll say yes when I tell you my spiritual gift is whatever, or my gifts are whatever. And there are many that would say, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I don't think we could come. I don't imagine how you would become extremely mature and equipped unless it was some rare exception, such innateness that if we didn't know what our gifts were. And so I would really encourage anybody through the next year, say, I want to go to Link. I want to figure it out here. I mean, we, we offer it to, on a regular basis to, to help you learn it. Well, I, I want to go find it out. I want to be a mature. I want to run the race. So I need to find out what my gifts are. Number three, has learned to effectively share their faith in a winsomely engaging way. Let me tell you this. There are many of us here who probably are using as a good reason that we don't witness to other people because we know what it is to witness in a non-winsome and engaging way. We've had somebody in the past do that with us, and we say, I'll never do that to somebody. Hear me out on this. No good reason to use that because there is a way it can be done winsomely, and it can be done in an engaging way. I promise you. In fact, I, every year in the life of this church, I've given multiple times a year that I teach a Friday night and a Saturday morning on how to do that. We call it Express Your Faith. Some of us need to say, you know what, I want to run the race, and how can I do that without learning to share my faith? Maybe I didn't share my faith with anybody all year long. You come. Let me try to help you at least. Let's just see if we can make some progress in this area because you're going to be shocked to see how winsome and how engaging a way it can be done. And it's not just somebody standing up and preaching the gospel at a dead set, here it is. No, it's so different than that. At least can be. Number four, demonstrates a life characterized as, and I'm going to walk through these next few things here just making a comment, and you're going to say, oh, wow, who could ever be like that? What I'm talking about is showing evidence of this present and growing that there would be nothing on here to say, that's not there at all, that's not there. Gospel-driven. Gospel, it's the story of, of His work for us, driven by that as we've been talking. Fo Worship-focused, morally pure, evangelistically bold, discipleship-grounded, family-faithful, socially responsible. Now, for those who have been using this little map in their personal life are saying, hey, you skipped something, Randy, because there's one that comes between three and four. But I wanted to hold that out to the close because I want to end with that because, again, I want to make it simple. I'm so convinced if we could be simple, we can be repetitive. If we can be simple and repetitive, we can model it to other people, and we become very contagious to other people. And so what would have been the fourth point, typically, there are four M's. So it's easy to remember. Let me touch on them, and we can focus on these. A member of God's church. We want to be a member of God's church. 
Boy, once we become a new creation, we're a part of his family, the body of the church. And it's sad, but only until the last, I don't know, 40 to 50 years has it been that the church universally would not embrace the reality that if you're not a member of the church, you're not to be treated as a Christian. That the elders of churches hold the keys to the kingdom, meaning the authority to declare someone under the church or not under the church, and then when someone's not under the church, then they shouldn't be treated as a Christian. They shouldn't be able to take the Lord's table. They shouldn't be able to marry another Christian, and the list goes on and on. Just to say, this is how we know. It's not my judgment. It's not your judgment. It's, it's those that are ordained in the authority of the church. It's not an abusive thing. It's a very good thing. But now people say, I don't matter. I just attend. I attend. No, you want to get beyond that. When I see people and say, oh, I'm not members of the church. I, don't, I, I, I go to church so regularly. I go, my first thought is, oh, you're missing so much in your maturity. There's so much more. If you, could, if you could understand what it means to put yourself under the authority of someone versus living life on my own, I'll make it okay. Number two, it's manager. Number two is a member, uh, a manager of life, relationships, and resources. The, uh, the person who is a manager uh, has come to the place to say, I believe God owns everything. And they, they, they realize, okay, I'm going to steward, number one, my time. I'm going to give one day out of seven to the Lord. I understand what the Lord's day is about. A mature Christian understands the, the, the tenth in terms of resources. I'm going to give at least that to the Lord. I'm, I'm going to do that. I understand that. And they don't do it out of a necessity. They do it under an understanding when you're mature that what a blessing to me and to my life and to others and everything else. But we're really talking about here relationships. If you want to be a manager, you've got to manage through relationships because you can't do it alone. Carol was in a group a few years ago. I was leading a group in the journey. And she received at the end of a year an email, as did the others in the group, about what the year had meant to, to her. I want to read it to you. Some of you that are in discipleship may have heard it, but it's worth hearing again. It says, just wanted to write a few thoughts about how blessed we are to be in a group of authentic women. I was thinking through my own journey over the past year, and then has years, Yes, in parenthesis, and wanted to thank each of you because you loved me when I felt unlovable. You gave me value when I felt worthless. You embraced me when I felt condemned. You didn't think less of me when I felt judged. You encouraged me when I felt scorned by the world. You cared for me when I wanted to self-destruct. You held me up when I wanted to fall. You told me the truth when I wanted to listen to lies. You were strong when I was weak. You showed me how to breathe when life took my breath away. You were Jesus when I needed him in flesh and bone. You understood even though your flesh could not. You called me when I felt I had nothing to say. You made me face the day when I wanted to tread in darkness. You challenged me when I wanted to be mindless. You loved my family when others found them unlovable. You asked me questions when I just wanted to blend in. You saw God's potential in me when I saw nothing. You knew me when I didn't recognize myself. Relational discipleship, so much more than Bible study, 
Thanks for doing life with me. See, I would hope that every person here runs the race to finding a sisterhood for you ladies, a brotherhood for you men, so that you could say, if that was the pain of my life, I would be able to say that about people that were with me regularly. Let me tell you, that's how people become great managers because they're a part of a community. Very important. I've already hit the other M's, so I don't have to say anything really about them. A minister to others within the body of Christ, discovering your gift and using them. And lastly, a messenger to non-kingdom people, which I've already touched on. You know, I sometimes look at a race that we're in, and I think of, I think of it like the race of some of these little kids when you're a parent and you have to go to their swimming meet. There was a sigh of pain in a lot of people just that moment, <laughs> knowing four hours for two minutes of swimming, right? But you've seen it when it happens. I've seen it. They blow the whistle. They dive into the pool for their race, and there's a false start. And so they, of course, they usually have a gun. They shoot it, and they start off, and then they pow, pow, pow. And there's always one kid that for some reason can't hear the next pow. And so they are just tearing it up and people start screaming stop and they think they're screaming just keep and they swim the whole race. Only get to the end and say, what a waste of my energy. There's a, a quote that came out years and years ago. I think I found this when I was in college and then boy, it stuck with me through the years. It's an unknown. I don't know who, who ever quoted it, but they're, they're talking about something Herodotus said. Now, Herodotus was the first known historian, 400 years B.C., that we have really a documented history account the way a historian would do it. And um, a Greek, and uh, this man is quoting Herodotus, or this author, I don't know if it's a man or woman, but uh, this is what it says. Herodotus claimed that the bitterest sorrow a man can know is to aspire to do much and to achieve little, not so. The bitterest sorrow is to aspire to do much and to do it, and then to discover it was not worth the doing. And that's what I long for you as your pastor, that you would be a people this next year that wouldn't say at the end of the year, oh my goodness, it wasn't worth the doing. I made a lot of money. You know, I accomplished a lot. I bought a lot. I played a lot, I enjoyed a lot, but I didn't find an enduring race to become a mature and equipped follower of Christ. So hopefully this week gets us prepared, understanding it so that we can want it. Next week, Lord willing, we figure out how do you get this thing called endurance? How do we endure? So a year from now we say, yes, had the Lord taken me now, I would have said amen for a good year. God wants us to be wholly His, not doing more, but dying more. And I want to pray right now that that might happen to all. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we would ask you now that you would grant us to be able now to say with great integrity in a prayer to you that, that if we don't know you, that we are finding ourselves longing to and 
desirous of, of understanding fully that we might embrace you. And Lord, and what we're really saying is, would you lay hold of us so that we might lay hold of you? And Father, for the many of us here that are already your children, some of us look at member, manager, minister, and messenger alone and say, wow, maybe it accounts for why I'm not mature. I'm not equipped like I need to be. Would you show us to what degree we need to, to press on in those arenas? But I pray next week that you will allow us to understand this thing equipping. That we might find ourselves understanding maturing in light of the endurance to the things that take us there. So grant that we pray. May this be an important two weeks for the sake of a holiday coming, particularly the Christmas celebration. But Lord, more importantly, for the next year and years of our lives, we ask. We pray it all in the great name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.